Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the EMJ podcast. My name is Dr Bridget Scott and today I am pleased to be bringing you a roundtable discussion and evaluation of the value and future development of multidisciplinary teams. This podcast has been sponsored by AstraZeneca. Joining me for today's podcast are two experts in the field, Professor Russell Petty and Dr Bianca Devitt, who are going to offer their perspectives on how multidisciplinary teams are currently perceived and how they might evolve in the future. Professor Russell Petty is Chair of Medical Oncology at Nine Wells Hospital and Medical School, University Dundee in Scotland. He is a practicing medical oncologist in the field of upper gastrointestinal cancers and leads a clinical trial and translational research program in these tumour types. He is Director of Research and Development for NHS Tayside, providing oversight and delivery of more than 250 clinical trials concurrently. Dr Bianca Debit is a medical oncologist who works at Eastern Health in Australia, specialising in the care of patients with breast and lung cancer. Her research interests focus on group clinical decision-making and interventions that support personalised care within this context. The views and opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of AstraZeneca or EMJ. And now I will hand over to Professor Russell Petty for the roundtable discussion. Thank you. So, Bianca, we're both uh, uh, oncologists working in practice and we spend a a key part of our time in multidisciplinary team meetings. So uh, I, I wondered your, what were your thoughts on the multidisciplinary team approach? Do you think it is the gold standard uh, for diagnosis and treatment of cancer? And do you think this is a universal opinion? Yeah, I think it is a gold standard um, for all of the Western world and even the developing world um, when it was devised um, it was used as a tool to standardise treatment and I think it can help um, in all settings. I suppose the issues are now with the rates of cancer um, is whether it should be for everybody and whether we should be discussing everybody and that compromises the quality of discussion um, or, uh, you know, or whether it's for select cases um, and the others are more protocol driven. What are your thoughts? Um, no, I I, I I agree with what you've said there. Um, they they MDT certainly have uh, been uh, something that has standardised uh, uh, you know uh, cancer care across all tumour types, and have been very valuable uh, in that regard. Um, but I think what you're drawing out there is one of the key issues that we all uh, all members of an MDT. Uh, think about, and that is, uh, is it for every case an efficient use of our time? Um, I don't know about you, but uh, MDTs are increasingly taking longer and longer in my practice. Um, uh, and that's to a certain extent because there are more more and more cancer patients and more more, more treatments. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think um, there is a, a way in which we can um, make MDTs more efficient? Yeah, I think there definitely is. And um, I think that they get used for a lot of purposes and perhaps we should acknowledge that um, that there is a lot of, there are a lot of specialists in the room and it's a lot of collective time that they take up. And mm. so they should be used for 
complex cases, I think, um, that don't fit in with a protocol. Um, and that's my thoughts. I don't think that's necessarily um, what, you know, uh, well, I work in Australia, what, what the, um, the government line is. Um, they definitely would like all patients and that's one of our sort of performance indicators um, of a good cancer service is that all of our patients are discussed. So whether that becomes that they're registered through an MDM, but I think that we're kidding ourselves that that's the same as having an MDT discussion with a pathology review and radiology review and um, everyone considering the case. Yeah, I, I, th I think that that's a key point is there that you, you're bringing up, isn't it? I mean, how do we assess the value and what are the, 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 the performance indicators that we might measure for MDTs? Certainly in Scotland, it's the same that we, you know, we do discuss every single patient. And in actual fact, that is one of our quality performance indicators that the government, government measures uh, with a target of the being 95% or more of cancer patients being discussed uh, in an MDT. Um, but is that really a valuable use of the MDT's time um, in every single case? Certainly for complex cases, it's important. But do you think that increasingly with very protocolized treatment, every single patient does benefit from being discussed at the uh, at an MDT? I think the short answer is is no. Um, uh, I, I treat breast and lung cancer, um, and I think that there are a lot of um, it's there's a lot of time we spend discussing um, DCIS and um, very early stage um, low risk breast cancers that are that have very protocolized um, you know can be protocolized very easily um, they don't have very morbid um, recommendations obviously with radiation and endocrine treatment and so it's fit for most people but I think if you extend it out to um, more uh, treatments that are more morbid, um, lung cancer treatments um, with surgery and de deciding who is who should have surgery, who who can't have surgery because of either their comorbidities or because um, the disease is too extensive. It's hard to then tease out who you don't discuss. So it's very, I think, tumour dependent and it's really based on the complexity of, of the treatment that's involved. Yeah, I think... I I think I agree. I mean, I, I'm a gastroesophageal oncologist and certainly uh, similar to lung, as you mentioned, uh, this is one uh, tumour uh, site that it's very difficult to, to protocolise patients. As you mentioned, complex decisions about fitness for surgery or non-surgical curative approaches or, 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 or non-curative palliative treatment approaches. And I think in 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 our area in gastroesophageal cancer we would struggle to protocolize uh, patients but i suppose that I, I see i see that there are other tumor areas where it, this might be possible but do you think i mean how in practice um how do you think that could actually be done um would you need a protocol to decide who goes on the MDT? Would these patients that for protocol treatment still be recorded somewhere in the MDT so that the, the decision was there? What do you think? I mean, it's not easy, is it? No, I think it's really difficult. And, and what you're doing is obviously pulling, it probably needs to be a clinician a, a, um, deciding who gets discussed. And so you're just moving, I suppose, that time to a different <laughs> um a different time and, and but possibly, I mean, if 
there's often 10 or more or often more than 10 um, specialists in a room and it's probably more time efficient to um, to have one person going through the list and working out who actually needs to be discussed. I think there's some pretty good research, um, UK research showing that clinicians can you know, can accurately predict which cases um, need discussion and which cases their management plan is going to be non-controversial or not difficult. So it's possibly something we could consider in the future. Yeah, it, it, it's almost uh, an MDT within an MDT. Um, um, you know, I'm hesitant to use the word triage, but, um, you know, uh, it, it might um, it might be more efficient in that it will reserve the time that's available for those cases that more complex cases that really do benefit fully from uh, MDT discussions. So I suppose that kind of brings us on to maybe another issue. And I mean, how how do we define the the value of the MDT to the patient? Do you think it is valuable? Um, I mean, one thing to highlight there is that sometimes when we have a lot of cases, there may be very few people actually in the room who have or will ever see the patient. Do you think it's difficult if we're discussing cases um, that um, we haven't had any direct uh, clinical contact with the patient? Mm, I think uh, I think the discussion is obviously in complex cases, um, the discussion is um, enriched by a at least one clinician knowing the patient. Um, in the more simple cases, I suppose it's less important. Um, I, for my PhD, I did some research on what patients think about um, multidisciplinary meetings and um, there was universal um, agreement that they were highly valuable. Um, the patients often uh, in Australia, we don't necessarily, um, although the government says that we consent them, I think some of the patients are taken to an MDT um, without full knowledge of what's going on and when they understood what happened at an MTT, um, they just saw the value in it. They saw that they were getting second opinions or third and fourth opinions from a team, that their case was being reviewed in depth and um, the, case, the patients also understood the complexity of decision-making and that uh, there often wasn't black and white answers and appreciated the nuanced discussion that goes on at MDTs. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think, I mean, I think you're... You're right, communication of uh, the purpose and the process of MDT to patients and their families is is really valuable. And I think it does demonstrate the valuable to patients and they appreciate it. I mean, I, um, I think your point there about getting a second, third and fourth opinion is is a good one. And it's something that I do think does reassure patients that the that they're getting the you know, the best possible care. So um, I think, but I, I wonder sometimes how how good we are, particularly maybe uh, in, in Scotland and the UK, communicating that fully to patients. And so I think that maybe is is a, is a good thing. Um, that's something, sorry, something that we should, we should work harder on, um, you know, in terms of our documentation. I don't know, maybe Bianca, I just wondered, is the uh, output from the MDT in Australia, is it in a standardised way? Is there a standardised communication that will go in the patient record or is it each MDT does its own thing? Because that, 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 that would be the case in the UK, each MDT does its own thing. But we are trying to standardise it across Scotland to improve communication. 
Yeah, I think um, it's it's dependent on each health service. So pretty, it sounds very similar. Um, I think most most um, hospitals in Australia use, you know, some kind of database and way to document it, and it gets into the medical record and hopefully gets to the local practitioner as well at some point in time. Um, but we we have issues with the MDT getting to the notes in a timely manner sometimes still, even with all um, the electronic, you know, EMR and everything, it still sometimes takes some time to get there, which can be an, another issue. Yeah, we're, cert we're certainly in a, a transition period to electronic patient records, you know, but I think, um, I mean, I, I would be working in a hybrid system, some things electronic, some things are written, and the electronic aspects, there's, there's several different systems that you have to log in um, to an access in order to get the full picture. So that can be frustrating. But I think, you know, we do see the value of electronic patient records, don't we? Moving moving forward, timeliness as well and, and accessibility. Um, I mean, I'm old enough to remember uh, playing films, non-digital radiology and paper notes, which were frequently not available for review at the MDT and at least we've moved on moved on from that but but just to move things on I think maybe if we look at it from the point of view of uh, the MDT team uh, members um, I suppose we I, I would say the MDT is valuable to team members as well I think there's certainly a, um, a continuing medical educational aspect to MDTs um, particularly for trainees but also for um, established specialists as well and I think one thing it does does do is it um, it it's allowed an appreciation of the the full role and complexities of other members of the MDT outside your speciality so pathology radiology gastroenterology in my my field as well uh, surgery uh, as well so I don't know what your thoughts about that I mean peer review as well I suppose but I think I think that these are these are many sort of softer benefits of the MDT to the actual team itself which in turn I think do improve patient care yeah I, I completely agree I think that um, sort of cross-disciplinary learning is is so valuable and um and I think we've all come to understand each other a lot better through MDTs um, and it, it's very helpful, I think, also to communicate, like we all can't keep up with each other's, the nuances of surgical management of whatever cancer you're treating and the changes in oncology and, and um, so like for breast cancer and lung cancer as well, you know, treatment, neoadjuvant treatments becoming a, a major part of, of treating a, a significant proportion of cancers and, and it's a really effective way to communicate um, these changes rapidly to the unit and um, and you know and and implement change I think you know prior to MDTs being available changes like that major changes to treatment you know if you're shifting the order of treatment it took years and years and sometimes was never implemented um, so I think that that's really valuable yeah, no, I, th I think you're right. It makes, um, uh, it does certainly introduce uh, new treatments in a more timely fashion, uh, you know, across across the board in a in a health service. I think, I think that I, I would agree with that entirely. I think um, prior to that, you're right that maybe there would be enthusiasts um, and early adopters um, uh, who 
we would you know progress ahead with with new approaches new new medicines new surgical techniques etc as data came out often because they were uh, directly involved in some way in the clinical trials themselves but i think the the trickle down uh more generally was was arguably slower than than really or any of us would like and and i do think yeah the mdts do do improve that um i mean i so i think you know i think we we would sort of all agree both agree that um that mdts do sort of generally work well but there are some things we might want to change about them i suppose we've already talked about one of those in terms of protocolizing uh, who might uh, need a, a, a fuller discussion and who might need a uh, maybe a, a pre-MDT meeting review for this more straightforward protocol case. So that, you know, that's one thing we might want to change. I don't know if there's anything else that you think, Bianca, that, that should change to, to, to make MDTs better. We've talked about um, the electronic record, haven't we? And, and, and maybe uh, what do you think? Do you, would would you do you think that um, a formal um, a formal standardised MDT uh, record would be useful? Um, that one that could be adapted to each tumour type. Say, would that be something that would do you think would be useful across the state or across Australia more generally? I mean, I mention it because it is something we're talking about in Scotland, um, and also something that would allow all the data to be captured. Mm. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I'm I'm not sure. I know that we definitely have modified our our MDT template. So we um, we sort of have a um, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Um, so our health service is one of several, and we form an integrated cancer service. And so the software that's used is used for probably five different health services, and um, we've mm -hmm. definitely needed to adapt. Uh, that database for our purposes so to incorporate things like um, whether we think patients are appropriate to have a shared care sort of survivorship um, follow-up and things like that so I, I think the short answer is yes um, and it, it possibly means that we can um, you know uh, you hope that as electronic medical records come across that there's actually data that can be pulled across and so we end up with a really rich database of all our patients and the treatment recommendations um, which would help us audit our practice and those sorts of things um, but also you want a little bit of um, ability to tailor it to your health service I suppose um, as well because we're not all the same. Yeah no I, I agree I mean I think it could be a really powerful powerful tool for audit service improvement and and possibly uh research as well um if if we were able to to capture um the the mdt information it probably is one of the key points in a patient's pathway isn't it where all the relevant specialists are in the room um and have access and maybe the ability to record all the key diagnostic information about a patient and then the the, the treatment decision um, so it could be it could be really useful i suppose what are the barriers to achieving that i mean i i think you, you mentioned one of them there there i mean it's different if you know we're talking about digitalizing the mdt aren't we here and um certainly it would be the case in scotland that 
the, the software used by different health boards, for instance, is different and may not talk to each other. I don't know if that's a, 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 a you know, pro- I imagine that's probably an issue for you as well, isn't it? I um, think it might be an issue for every health service it, <laughs> around the world. Yeah. Um, the other things I suppose that were coming to mind as you were talking, Russell, I suppose is um, other ways that we could improve. Definitely in Australia at some MDTs, often the most junior member of staff is documenting the MDM discussion and recommendations. And um, I think that um, I've definitely attended MDTs where a consultant um, is documenting and I think that that, that adds something. Um, the nuances are picked up. Um, so I, I would say that's possibly something that MDTs could consider um, or at least that they can definitely see in real time what's being documented um, so that there can be some kind of check that it actually represents what was discussed. Yeah, I, I, no, I agree. And, and, and that has sort of become our practice with, and it's um, accelerated by COVID really because one of the things that's happened in COVID uh, was that our MDTs moved from being physically in a room to being, um, you know, virtual um, which means that, you know, the, the outcome was sort of completed, um, you know, at, at the time. Um, and so uh, everyone is looking at it on the screen and can can chip in if, they, if they're not happy with it. Um, but I, I think you're right. Yeah, it, we need, it needs to be uh, someone who has captured the, who, who's able to capture all the nuances of what often is a very complex discussion um and sort of you know and draw together what is the consensus um mm. really and signs it off really because it is a key as we were saying before it is a key part of the the the, the patient record i mean yeah, I don't and, know- I, and i suppose sorry to interrupt i suppose also um having being empowered to interrupt as well and to um, you know, sometimes when when the decisions are really difficult, um, there's sort of an impasse and, um, you know, there's two ways of, of doing the same thing and it's the MDT's job really to either say, well, they're equivalent, you need to discuss it with the patient or to decide one way or the other. And it's really important that that person kind of calls that out when, when there's an impasse and no decision's been made and said, well, what's, what's the decision? And so then can document it. So... Um, yeah, no, no, I agree, and I think you know all members of the team should be empowered to um, to to interrupt and to to offer their opinion. Um, you know, particularly if they have direct, as we were saying before, if they are the persons that's had direct contact with the patient. So, for example, in in upper GI, a key member of the the team who has a, often has a big insight is the dietitian. You know, because nutritional aspects are really important, and so it's been very important to ensure that dietitians are able to speak up at the MDT to give their insights into the patient's nutritional status, which is actually often a key, uh, a key bit of information. So I think we're, we're sort of, um, there are, there are sort of, we're talking about things which you might say the, the culture in MDTs, isn't it? I suppose it's how, how do we make sure that we have, um, you know, a li- it's a little bit of process, but it's the, um, you know, getting the culture of your MDT uh, correct, and and maybe the leadership that's needed uh, in 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 order to to do that. Um, I, I suppose that's what we're talking about, really, isn't it? Mm, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I think if if we sort of we're sort of moving on, I don't know. One of the things we do think a lot about is what um, what's OMDT is going to look like in the future. 
you know how are they how are they going to evolve um and we've sort of been touching on that i mean you know the we've been doing mdts a long time there are some tweaks that we we talk about and um but i don't know how what 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 do you think if you if you sort of advise you to sort of prophesize what would an mdt look like <laughs> in the future what do you think yeah, I, I don't know. I think that COVID's radically changed how MDTs function. Um, we're the same. We run uh, a hybrid meeting now, and I would say probably 80% of the clinicians attend virtually, um, including our pathologist now um, and off sometimes the radiologist. So, um, And is that so? Would that be would they be presenting the radiology digitally and the pathology then? Does the does the pathology do the slides still come up at the MDT? Yeah, 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 yeah. They do. I think there might be some work that they're doing in the background to make that. So it's not the microscope. I think they take pictures to highlight what they want to show. You still see them. You still see them on the uh, yeah. So yeah, because because that's I think that's one thing that with virtual MDTs, um, maybe pathology has lost its place a bit. And that that's something that concerns me. So that's good to hear. Yeah, no, we're definitely it's still sort of running the same way as it did pre-COVID. It's just people aren't physically in the room. And and I think the the good thing about it is that's probably meant that more people are attending. Um, definitely from the surgeons um but i suppose the other thing is is that um it's different like you miss some of that interpersonal things not going to the mdt and seeing people um and the other thing is that perhaps people aren't giving a hundred percent of their com um concentration to what's going on in the mdt it's very tempting I think I'm guilty of it, of um, checking emails as well or something or doing some other work while it's going on in the background. So um, it is something that obviously people need to concentrate on so it can be quality. That, I, I, yeah, no, I agree. That's that's the temptation with any virtual format, isn't it, um, to multitask and, and do things like that. But I, I would say there's a similar pattern in Scotland where the attendance, when the MDTs have been virtual, which was an enforcement of COVID, the uh, attendance has improved um and so which is a good thing uh, but i agree you do miss that personal interaction and maybe discussion about maybe cases that aren't on the mdt the corridor conversations maybe before or after the mdt when you see a colleague and there's a, another case that you, you you know you need to need to speak to them about and and you know i think it's you know the mdts were very useful for for, for doing that i suppose the other thing i you know i i think the the virtual format works well and particularly for colleagues that know each other well and maybe see each other outside the MDT on, you know, in their clinical work. I just wonder how easy it is. Do you think the uh, virtual format is a barrier to new members uh, being integrated into the culture of the MDT? I don't know. I, I think it maybe is. Yeah, I would, I would assume it is too. And um, I'm a bit of a, <laughs> I'm not a new member, so, but that's a good point that you pick up. And I think that, I think it would it is and also for the the fellows that are coming along and um might stay with the service then um it would it would be disappointing and it's always disappointing when you've walked past someone that you know virtually 50 times and then you actually find out that you <laughs> who they are um yeah, that's yeah no no i agree yeah we've all we've all done that but i mean do you think just uh, just do you think we'll ever go back uh to uh in-person mdts i mean we're coming out of the pandemic hopefully now um do you think we're going to stick with virtual or do you think we're going to uh go back i think that might depend on 
who you ask. Um, I, I can't see the surgeons that I work with um, coming in person. Um, we try to have one of the on medical oncologists physically in the room because the radiologist is there and they're the, we sort of assign them as the primary decision maker um, for that meeting and we rotate that. Um, and that's that person's job to be fully concentrating and present. And I, I tend to think that would be an, a nice way to do it so that at least there's one person from each discipline in the room. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good. So you're talking about a hybrid approach, but maybe sort of mandating a, a core set of people, for, core disciplines actually being being present and the rest uh, yeah. uh, dialing in. Yeah. Yeah. That, seems, that does seem like a nice way to do it. Yeah. The best of both worlds. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. I mean, time will tell. I mean, I was just going to sort of uh, move on a little bit and, and, and talk about molecular MDTs because, uh, I mean, in, in all areas of oncology, lung, lung uh, maybe especially, we do now have a molecular classification of the disease. Um, and um, this is rapidly evolving and it's becoming more complex. Um, and particularly when it involves whole genome sequencing, um, it's, it's maybe something that's difficult for the site-specific MDTs to manage, I think. So I, 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 mean, I mean, I was interested in knowing how maybe in, in your practice you, you manage this. I mean, in, in Scotland, we do have a national molecular MDT uh, that patients can be referred to for whole genome sequencing. And that meets on its own. Um, and if you have a patient you've referred to it, you can attend that or you, anyone can attend and um, and and I, t I tend to try and attend as much as possible because it's extremely educational. And that has um, clinical scientists in the room, geneticists um, and uh, physician scientists as well, who look at the whole sequencing data, look at the, the, um, the, the, the aberrations that have been generated and make a clinically informed uh, report on what might be actionable and then that, that that then is a document that then is discussed in the site-specific MDT so that's kind of how it's sort of starting to develop in Scotland so it's by no means every patient getting whole genome sequencing but you know that might be something that becomes more common and, and I think one thing that I was keen not to see go was um, that site-specific expertise because I think if you're a lung cancer oncologist or a gastroesophageal oncologist or, or whatever, um, you know, there are some very important clinical site-specific um, knowledge and applications um, which, um, which, which, are, which are really will, which are still relevant to patient care and I think will remain so. So I don't know. So I, I think this is, you know, this is the, this is, I think perhaps we've always thought it's in the more distant future, but I think it's, we're now in the era where molecular MDTs are happening and need to happen and, and we're going to have to make decisions about how they interact with the clinical MDTs for each site specific um tumor type so so i don't know so that's kind of what that's sort of what happens in scotland at the moment i'd be interested to see what what's happening in australia and also what your what your thoughts are, are about it bianca i mean how, how do you see it working yeah i suppose um it sounds very similar to what's happening in i can only speak for melbourne not the rest of australia but um 
we have a very similar process where it's a central specialised um, molecular meeting um, that then reports back to the clinician that's referred that patient into and you can attend as well as virtual meetings. Um, I suppose the issues for the majority of patients is at the moment for us, the whole genome sequencing takes a, a long time um, for cancer. So it's, you know, often six, eight weeks after the biopsy has gone through that those results are through. And, you know, really we're looking for actionable mutations that are often only available in a phase one trial. So it's often for our advanced cancers that, that they're going um, to those molecular boards. So for the majority of patients, um, you know, that whole genome sequencing is, I suppose, less relevant outside a um, quaternary cancer specialist centre. Um, I suppose the interesting thing is even the simple things like knowing it's going to be increasingly more important, um, you know, to know a patient's EGFR status um, in the adjuvant setting and, um, you know, obviously the data out of ESMO with their GI cancers. I was heard that in our um, our unit meeting today, the almost 100% response to immunotherapy when given neoadjuvantly for colorectal cancer was absolutely amazing. So, you know, these things that are actually that we need to know to treat everybody's cancer, um, it's going to be really important that the turnaround time for those tests gets, gets quicker. And obviously, um, you know, um, mismatch repairs quicker than sending someone off for NGS for EGFR mutations, which for us is still a two-week turnaround. So um, it, it highlights the importance, I think, of having nurse coordinators that can help manage the intricacy so the patients are put on for discussion at the right time when we have all the information that we need and also that the patients understand why their treatment's being delayed um, because these things are going to start to be really important because treatment's going to change depending on, you know, what mutations you harbour. Yeah, no, I think I, I, I agree. I think um, that what you're touching on there is the timeliness of having the, the panel of molecular diagnostics that we need um, uh, available, um, you know, for MDG discussion. Um, and or if or failing that, uh, I suppose, when you need to make the clinical decision, when you see the patient subsequently in, in, in your clinic, um, and I think it's it's something that all um, you know all healthcare systems are struggling with. Uh, I think at the moment, uh, I suppose. I mean, what you're right. I mean, do, do you think what I was picking up there was you think that the, all these tests should be available at the time of the MDT? I mean, is that is that what you think, or do you, you know, um, or do you think that some that the MDT can advise a treatment? depending upon a subsequently available molecular test. What do you think? Because that, that comes to the... I, I do hear a lot of uh, UK MDTs struggling with these kind of questions. They don't always have the test available at the time yeah. of the MDT. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think for some cancers, it's integral um, that we know it up front. And I think it's possibly going to be more important into the future. Um as we have more effective therapies that target specific mutations in people's cancer um, and they're brought into the curative setting. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's highly dependent. And what you don't want the MDT to do is to be 
uh, I suppose making decisions like, well, if if this comes back positive, then we'll do this, and if this is negative, then we'll do that. It starts to become like a branching tree logic, which is just yeah, a protocol I, I, and it's I, not really personalised. I, 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 yeah, no, I, no, I agree. It's kind of really um, undermining all the progress we talked about that MDTs might have made. So we're sort of really talking about, you know, a... Um, I was going to say a pressure, I suppose it is, but maybe a slight push to get the molecular testing uh, completed uh, sooner and and earlier. Um, and of course, that's dependent on our colleagues in pathology and maybe genetics. But um, my experience certainly would be that with these type of things, it's often the oncologists that are the drivers of all of this. We're the ones that you know that that sort of maybe push this forward i mean i don't know do you see it it's it's rarer for the push to do these tests um introduce new tests and to do them quicker to come from pathology and genetics would that be your experience i think so but i think the mdt is the perfect opportunity to use that sort of cross-disciplinary education if the pathologists are getting asked every single time if they can do you know mismatch repair genes on their colorectal patients or their upper gi patients then you know, they'll start that they'll just start doing it eventually or, you know, PD one status um for their lung cancers. So I think um it, it is the opportune opportune time. And and definitely, you know, I suppose five years ago we would have to say to the pathologists, you know, can you send that lung cancer biopsy? We don't do um next gen sequencing on site. We have to send our um, samples off to another another hospital um, and you know every lung can every adenocarcinoma of the lung would have to ask them can you send it off and then you know it gets done now without us having to ask which shortens the time you know it probably shortens things by a week um, which it's, is really important it's uh, yeah it's really it's really interesting to hear that you know in in Australia these these are exactly the same discussions <laughs> so actually <laughs> in the UK and, and exactly the same you know we're all focused on getting these tests available for, you know, for as early as possible, ideally for the MDT for precision medicine. And, and we're looking to organize our molecular diagnostics accordingly to meet those needs. And, you know, we've, we've, in my center, we've just repatriated a lot of the molecular tests that we were outsourcing simply to, to, to increase timeliness, you know, that, and, and it, and it's made a big difference. Um, but I think, you, you know, you touched there again as on the role of the, the, the nurse specialist to, um, you know, to make sure the patient to coordinate things and to make sure the patients are discussed at the right time and all the information's available, as opposed to communicate to patients what's happening in the background. I mean, it's, it's difficult for patients to, uh, to be waiting for decisions. We know that. Um, and, and maybe they don't always appreciate why or, or all the activity that's going on behind the scenes. And when they do, uh, I do think that, um, you know, that, that makes a difference. One of the things just to touch on there was one of, we found that, you know, there's so much, so much activity in this sense going on now, uh, that a lot of it's very administrative but it's kind of specialist administrative work. So we're trying to introduce a new role called the cancer navigator that does the administrative bits of the nurse specialist job around the MDT. I don't know, is that something you've thought about? I mean, in, in Australia, so it's somewhat, so the, it, release, it releases the nurse specialist for more clinically specific role, but it's kind of an administrator that has a, a knowledge of, of, of the MDT. Um, I think it would be very dependent on the health service. Um, we don't have someone in that role uh, at 
my institution, um, but I can imagine um, some of the other institutions would. I think it, it's really hard a lot of um, to get buy-in from the government and your health service to fund these things appropriately because um, it's, you know, I think we've all done this for, well, I don't know in the UK, but definitely in Australia, my, a lot of this work's been done for free. Um, and so, yeah, it's really hard to get buy-in, I think. Like a, a lot of us aren't getting paid to attend the MDTs um, and definitely the work of the pathologists and radiologists I don't think is probably remunerated for the amount of work that it actually is. It's, it's right, yeah. The, the, the preparation time as well is is a big factor in the UK, you know, that the, the amount of preparation time for particularly for radiologists and pathologists, maybe less so for us oncologists, but certainly when, you know, they're having to look at, you know, a large number of scans and, and biopsies again, many of which they won't have initially reported. And so, but they do need to look at them again. You're right. It, it's a big burden. But I just think just that we were talking there before I meant to mention about the sort of the the um, NGS sort of uh, uh, quaternary centre uh, molecular MDT. And it does sound as though that's something that maybe does still have a place and a value. And it may be that, it may be that that's the the sort of cutting edge um, where a lot of these issues around what tests need to be done and how they might be best done maybe are resolved and then that practice comes down to the the clinical MDTs. I don't know what you think about that. I agree at the moment in Scott, it's largely right. Our MDT is organised by phase one centres, the molecular sequencing, the national molecular sequencing MDT. But um, they do, you know, they that their approaches to and the logistics of testing, molecular testing, I think is often resolved in that format as well. And then there are lessons that site-specific regional MDTs can can take on board. Definitely. And and I think the more that we I think the UK does it really well in sort of top-down approaches to some of these big issues and well from a distance when I'm reading about what goes on at MDTs in the UK, it seems to be that they try to roll things out on a kind of across the board and so spend a lot of time in getting the logistics right. I think um, it's a little bit more um, decentralised in Australia and often, you know, the um, the cancer um, the cancer service in one part of the state might be working on the same kind of thing in, in the other part of the state but they don't necessarily know that they're doing the same work so the more you know there's so much work to do it's um it's good to collaborate and um make sure that you know we're all working together on the same thing and not doing the same thing in parallel yeah no certain centralization does have its advantages um but also the disadvantages as well i have to say sometimes it can it can mean things happen slower than than we maybe would have liked but um, I think, I think uh, you know, I think we've had a really good discussion today. I've certainly enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that you think is really important to say about the MDT, Bianca. I'll give you, I'll give you the last word, if you like. <laughs> well, that's a lot of pressure. No, I think we've covered... <laughs> yeah, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've covered, you know, um, MDTs. I don't think they're... I think they're going to remain a part of um, oncology management for... Um, the near future, near to distant future, as far as I can see. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and it, uh, they're clearly here to stay and they're going to evolve to meet um, patients' needs. I think that's for sure.
And that concludes today's roundtable discussion. Thank you to Professor Russell Petty and Dr. Bianca Devitt for joining us today and sharing their insights on the value and future development of multidisciplinary teams with our audience. Remember to visit our archives for plenty of great podcasts covering many health-related topics. For now, stay safe and stay well, and I hope to have you back again on the EMJ podcast very soon. Until next time, take care and goodbye for now.